Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us on the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. We're brought to you by Book Notes. You can sign up for Book Notes' seven-day free trial now at the link you can find in our podcast description today. And, Jim, let's just start with our good martini, Tulsi Hillary Round 2. New York Post, Democratic presidential hopeful Tulsi Gabbard has filed a defamation suit against Hillary Clinton for calling her a Russian asset, according to newly filed court papers. Tulsi Gabbard is running for president of the United States, a position Clinton has long coveted but has not been able to attain, Wednesday's Manhattan federal lawsuit reads. In October 2019, whether out of personal animus, political enmity, or fear of real change within a political party, Clinton and her allies have long dominated. Clinton lied about her perceived rival, Tulsi Gabbard. She did so publicly, unambiguously, and with obvious malicious intent. The former Secretary of State has refused to walk back comments she made during an October 17th appearance on the podcast. So, uh, Jim, uh, this is uh, not going away, apparently. I don't know how likely this lawsuit is to succeed, given that uh, uh, proving defamation uh, against a public figure is pretty darn hard. This is uh, more popcorn for us. Uh, I like popcorn, though. <laughs> Indeed, Greg, I, I feel the same way. There's one thing I would note here, because my first reaction was, ah, here we go. Tulsi Gabbard is jumping the shark. This is ridiculous. Politicians attack each other in very personal terms all the time. Politicians lie about each other all the time. The idea that the right way to settle this is with, is with you know, by fighting it out in federal court. I mean, if you think we have a backlog of lawsuits now, imagine if it becomes, okay, if one politician says something that the other guy says is a lie, by golly, we're going to file a lawsuit over it and this will, that'll adjudicate it. I don't know, Greg, you just kind of look back and say, you know, Hamilton and Burr worked this stuff out. <laughs> Didn't they? Yeah. Well, and so here's, so at first I'm like, okay, Tolsey, this, this looks like a, nutty attention grabbing lawsuit designed to get headlines remind people she's running for president you know building her brand you know very easy to dismiss this and by the way legally i think it will get dismissed but just right before we came on john lustig on twitter made a point that i hadn't really chewed over and he said look former senior officials who have high security clearances should not say nutty things about their opponents suggesting that they are you know treasonous or agents of a foreign government because of the perception that because of their position, they might actually know something from intelligence that is being kept secret from the public. Uh, his argument is that, you know, the nutty stuff, and he didn't use the word stuff, uh, that Hillary Clinton is saying still carries the air of authority, even though she's left government because she's the former secretary of state. And that kind of makes some sense to me. There's, you know, a certain argument to say, look, once you've been entrusted with the powers that uh, that include the ability to have access to the highest level and the most sensitive stuff of our entire intelligence community. You can't then turn around and make accusations against people about things like spying or being a foreign agent or treason or something like that. That certainly carries with it the suggestion that you've seen something in your official capacities with access to that intelligence that is fueling your accusation. The power of it, handling the intelligence comes with responsibility. And first of all, Greg, if there's anything we know about Hillary Clinton, is that she always handles sensitive information carefully. That's right. 
So you got a great record on that. But finally, and look, I, I, I don't know if I can cite the court case on this, but I think I would do the case of Ben Parker versus uh, Spider-Man's desire to do what he wants. With great power comes great responsibility. And I think you could make the argument that suggesting that somebody is a Russian asset and not having any proof for that, that is not acting responsibly. Now, does this mean that she wins the lawsuit? I don't know, but eh, maybe, you know, maybe Tulsi Gabbard's argument should not be quite so quickly dismissed as a uh, attention grab. Maybe there's a legitimate argument in here that this represents a de facto abuse of her power of the, the uh, Secretary of State by Hillary Clinton. Jim, what do you make of the clearly antagonistic language here? Tulsi Gabbard is running for president of the United States, a position Clinton has long coveted but has not been able to attain. I mean, that's just, uh, I would say poking the bear, yeah. but I'm not sure Hillary's the bear, but that is clearly meant to antagonize. All the middle fingers doodled in the, in the, in the margins doesn't help either, Greg. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, here's the, if you're going to make this argument, and I just laid out a semi-principled argument of, Former federal officials with security clearances should not make accusations in their opponents hinting at or even alluding to the possibility of secret intelligence to back up these accusations unless they can genuinely back them up. And, you know, the right place to do this is not this from the Department of Justice not to do it the same way. You're not supposed to, like, have a back channel to deal with the Ukrainian government if you have suspicions about uh, what something Hunter Biden did or Joe Biden did. You got official channels. You have law enforcement. We have avenues that are supposed to handle this kind of stuff. So there's an argument that I think the language doesn't help, and I think it is one of the things that will probably make it, you know, one judge to look at this and say, nope, and toss it out pretty fast. wonder if Jill Stein will join, and then the Gabbard and Stein will realize they have a great rapport, and next thing you know, there's a third-party challenge. Hillary claims she was right all along, and the Democrats start getting nervous. I, I was just waiting for a Thelma and Louise-style buddy movie, <laughs> uh, Greg, but yeah. Oh, exactly. All right. Happy to have our new sponsor, Book Notes, on board with us today. Do you have one of these nightstands with books that you never seem to have time to finish? Have you got bookmarks or dog-eared pages and about half a dozen or more books? Because you want to read and learn about all these different things, but uh, either a new book comes that you get more excited about or... Life just happens and you never have a chance to finish a lot of them. Well, well, if you can't finish the actual thing, book notes can help you get the gist and really know what these books are all about in far less time. Really about 15 minutes. When you sign up for the book notes seven-day free trial, you have hundreds of titles to choose from in lots of different categories. Finance, love, career, happiness, health, classic titles, as well as uh, books that are hot off the press, and even some original works by book notes themselves. You can read uh, the summaries or you can listen to the summaries. A lot of different options. And the best part is the price. As I said, you get seven days free when you first start. But you can read about 100 different titles for less than $100 a year. Try doing that with actual books, whether it's on your Kindle or the actual hard copy of the book. I've had a chance to look at this, given all the accusations of uh, Orwellian activity on both parties. There's two George Orwell books uh, on the uh, on the list for book notes. You can check out Animal Farm. You can check out 1984 and plenty of others as well. So what you want to do is sign up for a book note seven-day free trial now and look for the special link in this podcast episode description. Book notes get smarter faster. Search for book notes in the App Store and install now. All right, Jim, uh, we talked about Tulsi Gabbard. She's not going to be the next president. She's also not going to be the Democratic nominee. Joe Biden might be the next Democratic nominee, but he's also in our bad martini today, and it's certainly got a tinge of crazy here, too. 
the former vice president was in Des Moines, Iowa on Monday evening. No surprise with the caucuses now less than two weeks away there. But he was uh, at a vice news forum on minority issues. And not surprisingly, the issue of immigration came up. And the question was, well, we know you don't want to abolish ICE, but you said you'd want to change it. How specifically would you do that? And he says he would fire immigration and customs enforcement agents who arrest and deport illegals who are not guilty of felony crimes. And he says he doesn't count drunk driving as a felony. Here's what he says. One of the things that's happening is, particularly for uh, Latino and Hispanic kids, is the incredible pressure on them in terms of their, 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 their sense of security. They go off to school wondering whether when mom comes and picks them up, is she not going to be there because an ICE agent was there to arrest her? Or they take, he, she takes them to the doctor that she's going to not be there because she is, quote, undocumented and an ICE agent is going to pick them up. So how do you no, change the culture? You change the, the culture by saying you're going to get fired. You're fired if, in fact, you do that. You only arrest for the purpose of dealing with a felony that's committed, and I don't count drunk driving as a felony. So, Jim, not only is this an issue I think that the vast majority of the public would disagree, particularly given the danger to innocent lives that a drunk driver presents, but also Joe Biden has a personal story of his first wife and his very young daughter being killed in a horrific car accident And for years, uh, he blamed the accident on a drunk driver. Now, that turned out not to be true. But given the importance he's placed on this issue, it's surprising that he doesn't give it more weight when it comes to immigration policy. This is this is not just a bad martini. It's a very weird martini on multiple levels. First, for those who don't know the story about uh, Joe Biden, his wife and his daughter were killed in a very serious car accident early, you know, much earlier in his life. No parent should ever have to bury a child. And your heart just breaks for Joe Biden. But the investigation indicated that Biden's wife was at fault in in the accident. I think it was her car pulled in front of the truck. The truck couldn't stop. And and that's what happened. The way Biden told the story on multiple occasions in public over the years was that the driver of the truck was drunk. He called him drunk as a skunk. He drank his lunch or all kinds of times where in Biden's mind, he just decided the truck driver was drunk. Again, police reports indicate there's no evidence of this whatsoever. Now, on the one hand, it's very hard to begrudge a man who has lost his wife and lost his, his daughter to telling himself little things to cope with the pain of that loss, right? Uh, you know, the idea of having somebody to blame, somebody to demonize, the idea that someone took my family from me instead of my, you know, my beloved wife made a terrible decision that cost her her life and the life of our child. You can kind of understand this. Biden still shouldn't do it, but at least you can understand it. But you'd think based on that, that Joe Biden would never want to give any drunk driver the benefit of the doubt under any circumstances whatsoever. Now, when this first came up yesterday, Greg, my first was I remembered an argument back during the late Bush's second term, an argument about uh, immigration reform. And one of the arguments was, if you came here illegally and you've committed a crime besides entering the country illegally, how serious a crime should mean automatic deportation? And there was a big fight about whether drunk driving should qualify or driving under the influence. Some people argue this is because the idea of illegal immigrants from from Central America were coming here, they were getting drunk, they had higher rates of DUIs, and that this was going to be a significant number. I don't know, and I've looked, I've not found any good, reliable statistical data indicating that illegal immigrants get more drunk than legal residents, than legal immigrants or natives. I, I don't know if it's necessarily that case. That having been said, I think most people would say, hey, 
DUIs are serious. If you come into this country and you, you know, which is, you know, strike one, and then you get up behind the wheel and you commit a DUI, now it's strike two and probably should count as strike three. You don't get the benefit of the doubt. You got to go. There was a bunch of Democrats who'd wanted to deport as few people as possible and didn't want this to qualify as among those things that got you automatically deported. It sounds like from that answer, Joe Biden has come around to that argument, either ignoring the fact that this contradicts some of his past statements or the fact that this is the sort of thing that Donald Trump could absolutely you know, whack him around like a pinata for the uh, uh, entirety of the general election. So it's very weird, very disappointing. And kind of indicates that uh, Joe Biden isn't really all that worried about consistency based on his past positions and statements and things like that. Absolutely not. There are so many families. uh, I believe Trump's brought some of them to, if not the State of the Union, certainly to other events uh, where uh, he's been trying to make the point that these people never should have been in the country. And as a result, these lives were tragically lost. He certainly uh, talked about folks in the country illegally who have uh, actively gone out and murdered folks. But I think he's made the point on this as well. And it's uh, I think he's got the high ground on that particular issue. Let's move to impeachment now. That's our crazy martini. Jim, I'm sure you stayed up till, what was it, two in the morning when all these uh, rules battles finally played out in the Senate last night, or I guess this morning. And uh, one of the things we saw back and forth was uh, the Democrats wanting White House documents, wanting State Department documents, wanting John Bolton, wanting other witnesses, uh, just a a parade of uh, amendments, uh, back and forth debates. And ultimately, Mitch McConnell would slowly stand up. Mr. Chief Justice, I moved a table. I want the yeas and nays. And except on one vote, it was entirely party line. Susan Collins flipped on one uh, vote that I don't believe will be super consequential. Uh, But the argument from the Democrats uh, on some of these things is what's curious here in the crazy martini. Because, Jim, while this is uh, not a regular trial in a lot of different ways, one of which is is that uh, they didn't get to pick the jury. The jury is the Senate. And so you would think, like any good lawyer, you kind of want to sweet talk the jury. Get them on your side. Make them like you. See where you're coming from. And maybe, just maybe, peel off enough to get what you want on a couple of these proposed amendments from Chuck Schumer. But uh, that was not the tack that the Democrats took here. While obviously taking shots at uh, President Trump and accusing him of trying to obscure the truth, uh, you had folks like Jerry Nadler, the House Judiciary Committee chairman out there, saying that if the Senate doesn't go along with the uh, House impeachment managers, well, then they're part of the cover-up, too. couple bites here. So the question presented as to Ambassador Bolton is clear. It comes down to this. Will the Senate do its duty and hear all the evidence? Or will it slam this door shut and show it is participating in a cover-up? But we should be surprised that here in the United States Senate, the greatest deliberative body in the world, where we are expected to put our oath of office ahead of political expediency, where we expected to be honest, where we are expected to protect the interests of the American people, we should be surprised, shocked, that any senator would vote to block this witness or any relevant witness who might shed additional light on the president's obvious misconduct. That's a way to sweet talk a jury, Jim. If you don't agree with our motion, well, you're part of the cover-up. Yeah, look, as I wrote earlier this week, the range of outcomes in this Senate trial and I know many people point out, it's not a trial. You know, it's the first, it sounds a little bit like Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop. It's not a Duma. It's not a trial. 
in the whole morning jolt is about the ways that impeachment is like a trial and it's also kind of different from a trial and the founding fathers kind of pretty i think they pretty clearly knew what they were doing when they set up the the arrangement that they did read hamilton the federalist they he sings about it very briefly in the musical it's really <laughs> worth reading this is a good point about in there about how impeachment works and why it is set up the way it is but let's face it if you're if you, you don't have an easy life if you're a house impeachment manager right you know a, mom, a molecule of sympathy for for gerald nadler He's walking into this. Everybody already knows what they think of this. The the low bar, you know, the minimum scenario for him is that they lose, let's say, Mansion and Jones and Cinema, and instead of getting, you know, of the forty seven, all the Republicans vote against your 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 floor is like forty four. Your ceiling is about mm, fifty, <laughs> right? You get all the Democrats. Romney flips, Murkowski flips, and you know maybe Collins flips. Or I know some people think Burr. I don't. Or I don't think that's going to happen. Um, that would be Richard, not Aaron. Yeah, you know, uh, maybe, you know, uh, Lamar Alexander or somebody retiring. But really, that you know, no indications to think any of these guys are uh, are likely to flip. So the, the range is 43 to 50, right? There's not a huge uh, amount you got to worry about here. So the question is, if you want to persuade those folks, let, let's assume you have to, you got all the Democrats fine. How do you persuade the Mitt Romneys and Lisa Murkowskis and anybody else? I think the easy, because also keep in mind, even Murkowski and Romney don't want to vote for impeachment. They're probably protected. There are Republicans in their states who are going to hold grudges about this for a really long time. They know they're going to get a volcanic denunciation from Trump and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, if they can find a reason to not vote for impeachment, they'll do it. Right. So the, the, you have to put the argument in their terms. And I think the argument that probably would be most persuasive to that small group of, of Republican senators who are persuadable is something like, look, I'm not even going to argue about the facts of what happened. I think you see what happened. I think you can simply argue the president has insisted not only did he you know, not do anything worth impeachable, he says he did nothing wrong. He says he made perfect. He is not going to come out of he is, he's, he's, There's no indication that he recognizes he did anything wrong. Unless there is some sort of rebuke to him from the Senate beyond partisan lines, he will do this again. He will have learned nothing from this. There is He will have no uh, sense of consequence to doing the exact same thing all over again. So the end result is you get, so that, that might make somebody say, okay, he, look, we all know he's not getting removed, but let's get a bipartisan, let's get more than, than a party line vote to say, Mr. President, you shouldn't have done this. You didn't have the authority to withhold the, the, the funding. You certainly didn't have the, the authority to withhold the funding in secret. And if you want to investigate the Bidens, you have a proper channels. You're not supposed to have your personal lawyer do all this stuff. That's something I think could persuade a handful of Republican senators. But you have to talk to them in a certain way. And you can't go up there and say, if you're not on my side, you're betraying the Constitution. You know, it just it just doesn't work, <laughs> which makes me think, Greg, that they've kind of given up on that. You know, admittedly, it was a small prospect, but you figure they want to do it. They're perfectly comfortable with a party line vote. They're not even that worried about losing the Democrats. They're not trying to get Republican votes, so they're not going to get any Republican votes. And we're going to we're on course for a very party line decision. Basically, what this is about, I think, is uh, being able to put together ads saying Cory Gardner was part of the cover up or Susan yeah, Collins bingo. or Martha McSally, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Hope everybody uh, got plenty of sleep last night. If you uh, didn't stay up, you missed absolutely nothing. 
Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Don't forget our new sponsors, Book Notes, and get that seven-day free trial. Look for the link in the podcast description. And also, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a nice review. Jim is actually out until Tuesday, but fear not. There will be three Martini Lunch podcasts Thursday, Friday, and Monday, so the routine doesn't change at all. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the next three Martini Lunch.